Amen. All right. So, uh, like Billy said, my name is Frankie Tool, and uh, I get the privilege of leading worship for uh, the kindergarten and fifth graders who are in here today. And real quick, if you're in kindergarten or fifth grade, will you stand up real quick, just real fast? And the rest of us, church, can we just take a second to celebrate them and tell them we're glad that they're in here this morning? Yes. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Y'all gonna have a seat. Uh, and like Billy said, if I look a little unfamiliar, it's because I'm usually uh, next door, just on the other side of this wall, uh, leading worship for them. If you ever hear a loud thumping sound, that's us worshiping and just showing y'all how much more fun we have than you guys, because y'all are lame. All right, so this morning, or yesterday, last, last week, we decided uh, to show y'all our fun. So I'm going to come up here, try to show y'all how we have fun. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going <clears> to <throat> continue our series called Be the Church. So if you've been here any of this year, you know we've been going through this series called Be the Church, which is through the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you do that, I'm going to say a prayer for us. So dear God, thank you for this day. I uh, thank you for all you've done for us, God. I thank you for your love, your mercy. I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. I thank you just uh, for how much you love us. I pray uh, that you use this word, that we would hear your word, hear your direction, and apply it to our life. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so last week, if you were here, you probably heard Billy talk a little bit, a little bit about 1 Corinthians chapter 2 which is a little bit of a reference we need to know for today. So uh, what you really need to know is that the, the first Corinthians, the, the letter was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, all right? First Corinthians to the church in Corinth. And he's addressing the matter of disunity in their church. So their church has become divided. Uh, they've really started to divide over this, this uh, their teachers. So you had Paul who planted the church and Apollos who became like the pastor of the church. And they divided over whose teachings was the best, like who they felt was the best, who they felt taught the best. And it, it just divided their church. It was almost like a huge church split. And really this whole letter addresses that and the problems with it. And then in chapter three, we can read and we really see the three, or I think three reasons that uh, they have disunity. So we see three reasons at what is causing disunity. So pick up chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul is basically saying that I can't address you with more uh, spiritually mature matters. I still have to give you some uh, basic level uh, Christianity doctrine. So he's just saying, I can't, I can't go farther than I should be able to. And what happened was Paul planted this church four years prior to this letter. So four years before this letter, Paul planted the church, all right? And he was able to give them that baseline Christian doctrine then because they were just newfound believers. But in verse two, it says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He's, he's talking about when he was there last, so you were not ready for more mature matters. Indeed, you are still not ready. So here's the problem, all right? So four years ago, it was okay. They weren't ready for more spiritually mature matters. Four years have gone by, they should be. Like if they were spiritually maturing, spiritually growing, they should be ready for uh, more spiritually mature matters. But Paul says they're not because they haven't grown at all. 
All right, and we can pause here for a second and put ourselves in the Corinthians' shoes. All right, so how much have you grown in Christ since your salvation? If you would say that you're saved and that you have given your life to Jesus and that you are a Christian, no matter if it was in 2020 or 1980, we all have spiritual maturity we should be going through. We should be growing in Christ. All right, so have you spiritually matured since your salvation? All right, or should you be further along in your faith? Should you be more spiritually mature than you really are? All right, in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul kind of gives us a, a definition of it. First, uh, Hebrews 5.13 says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who can be constant, or who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So basically what he's saying is if you're mature, you should be maturing and maturing in your way to distinguish good, so things that are of God and evil, things that are not of God. All right, so Paul tells them that he can't address them with these more uh, spiritually mature matters that he wishes he could be able to. In verse 3, he starts to tell us why. Why? Because you are still worldly, which basically means they are Christians, but they don't act like it. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? I remember like we talked about before, this is their main fight. Their main fight is over which teacher they follow, and they kind of identify best with one specific one, and they argue over which is the best. And one thing to point out right here is Paul specifically highlights two things that stunted their growth. All right, jealousy and quarreling. All right, jealousy and arguing, jealousy and not getting along. And guess what? Two things have continued to divide Christians and divide the church even today jealousy and quarreling. Yes, think about all these church splits, and at the root of it, it comes from jealousy or quarreling or not agreeing or whatever it is. All right, and that's just not what the church is about. The church should be a place that uh, the outside can look at and see unity. So verse 5, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. This is Paul saying he planted the church. Apollos watered it. So uh, after Paul left, Apollos became the pastor of the Corinthian church. But God has been making it grow. So he points it straight to God. It doesn't matter which teacher it was, it doesn't matter who it is, because the true author of it all is God. All right, so he's pointing it to glory to God, it's on God, it's in God's hands. Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, you are God's field, God's building. And really... Throughout this passage, throughout this chapter 3, we'll see three things that I think are causing uh, the, the disunity in the Corinthian church. And this, this section, I think, shows the first one, which is, number one, they weren't growing. Right? The Corinthians weren't growing. Paul addressed the Corinthians in verses 1 through 4, telling them, essentially, they haven't been growing. Then he basically tells them why. Because they have started focusing on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on, uh, on God and growing closer to him, they're, grow, or they're, they're focusing on other things, on worldly things. 
And really, today what we need to ask ourselves is, if we want to avoid disunity in the church, we need to ask ourselves, are we growing? So are we growing in our spiritual maturity? Because we should be. And I think there's three signs that we can kind of hold up and compare ourselves to and decide if we're really growing. First one is this, obedience. Obedience. So if you're truly growing closer to Christ, you're truly becoming more obedient. And what does obedience look like for someone who's growing? There's three things an obedient person or or obedience looks like for someone who is growing. The first thing is that they're committed to the word and prayer. They're committed to the Bible. They're committed to their prayer time. In your life, could you describe yourself as someone who is committed to the word and to your prayer life? Are you truly committed to the word? Are you truly committed to prayer and praying to God? Uh, what's cool is that we know Paul was. So Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. And all throughout those letters, we see him integrate the Old Testament scripture in it. Right, it shows that he had a dedication to reading it, knowing what it says and applying it to his life. Right, even later on in this passage in chapter 3, he, he, he quotes some more scripture. And what's cool, I think the reason he does this is kind of to say, If you're really dedicating, if you're really growing and dedicating yourself to Scripture, you should already know this. So he's going to quote two Scriptures and basically say, if if you're growing, you should know this already. So think about your life. If you were truly committed to the Word, how different would your life look? I know for me, if I was truly committed to the Word all the time, I'd be so much more obedient. Right, I'd be uh, more obedient in one specific sense in the way that I treat people. Right, because someone who is committed to the word and committed to prayer truly loves everyone. All right, so what's the, what's the marks of someone growing? One, they're obedient. Two, they love everyone. Love everyone. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, love God and love others. That's right, so one of his commands to love everyone. To love everyone is to be obedient. And what I'd like to point out is the fact that sometimes we take this word love and we try to give it our own definition. All right, love doesn't mean tolerate others. Love doesn't mean like others. Love doesn't mean let's not be mean, but we'll avoid others. He says love others. Love means go out of your way, sacrifice, uh, serve them, and show them that you love them the same way Christ loves you. All right, so again, if you're truly growing, if you're truly wanting to grow in Christ, your love for others should be growing more and more every day. So let's ask ourselves, do we love others? Do you love others? In your life, if you loved everyone, so in your life today, if you went out and you loved every single person you you met and and you interacted with, how different would your life look? I guess think about this. Imagine if the Corinthians really took this to heart and truly applied it in their life. If the Corinthians truly loved everyone, there would have been no church divide. Why? Because this side would have loved this side and this side would have loved this side and they would have nothing to argue about because there's nothing but love for each other. So do you truly love everyone? Not just tolerate, not just like, not just not punch in the face, but do you love everyone? Because love is the standard God has called us to do for everyone. And what does everyone means? Everyone means 
Everyone, everyone that's not you or you is everyone. We are called to love everyone. And then a result of us growing and showing love to everyone will be that we start to make disciples. So if you're growing, if you're growing, you're loving everybody. You're being obedient by, 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 by being dedicated to the word and prayer. You're loving others and you're making disciples. You're making disciples. Every person in here who, who claims to have faith in Jesus Christ, who says, Jesus is my Lord, I am a Christian, is called to make disciples. Right, what does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations. There's your call. That's what we're supposed to do, make disciples. But the thing is, have you taken this call to heart? Have you really started to make disciples? My parents in here, parents with kids that are in here with you right now, you have a very special opportunity to make a disciple with your kid. Right, that's what we're called to do. If you're a parent, that's what you're called to do, to make a disciple of your kid, to disciple your kid. Show them God's love. Show them what they've done for you or what he did for you. Right, that's why we do family worship Sunday. It's why we have family worship night, not just so that you can occupy another night with something to do, but so that you can show your children God's love. Right, I know it's kind of easy to say, isn't that like KK's job? Isn't that why we take them to you on Sundays and y'all wear the orange shirts? And kind of, Yes, we want to help you disciple your kid, but no, the weight doesn't fall on us. The weight falls on parents. As a, as a KK leader, yes, I definitely want to help you disciple your kid, and I do whatever it takes to help you. But put this in perspective. If you came to church every week for this whole year, I would get 52 chances to disciple your kid. All right? But how many chances do you get? 365 days a year. That's seven times more than I get. There's a reason parents are called to disciple their children, not someone else to disciple their children. So parents, are you discipling your child? Are you discipling your child? Because your child needs Jesus the same way you need Jesus. Non-parents in here, if you don't have a kid, are you making disciples? Maybe God has placed a friend or a coworker or, or someone else on your heart. Are you going to answer the call and be obedient and disciple them and show them God's love and show them what it's like to truly live for him? Because if we're truly obedient to Christ, we're making disciples. It should be our top priority. That's why we have the equip class going on this morning. Billy, you heard him talk about it. The equip class is to help you make disciples. That's the point of it. We want to make disciples who make disciples. Like imagine if everyone in this room just made one disciple. All right, simple math tells us it would double. And then if we took that and did it and it kept doubling and doubling, imagine the work we could do throughout the world if we all just started with making one disciple. So are you being obedient? Are you growing? Are you loving others, making disciples and committed to the word? Right, so let's ask the question, what does uh, obedience look like for someone who's not growing? So basically, what does disobedience look like when someone's not growing? And there's three signs. They're real simple. You'll catch on quick. All right, first one, not committed to the word and prayer. Someone growing is committed. Someone isn't growing isn't committed. All right, to not be committed to the word and to prayers, to be disobedient to God. Why? Because if, we, if you aren't committed to the word, you won't be committed to what it says. 
Right? How, how are you going to commit yourself to what it says if you, if you don't know what it says? Like if you can't read the Bible, know what it says, you can't commit yourself to that. Right? If you aren't committed to the Word, you probably don't love everyone. So not only are you not committed, so if you're being disobedient, you're not committed and you don't love everyone. Which we know is disobedient because Jesus says, love God and love others. Love everyone. So if you love everyone except for like three people, you're still being disobedient. Because that's not everyone. And I want to challenge you today to not just tolerate others or just like others or be kind and, and just love them. Show love to everyone. That's what Christ calls us to do. And if we're truly starting to love everyone, we would make disciples. But if you're not loving everyone, you're probably not making disciples. Which we also know is disobedient because the word says to go make disciples of all nations. This means all of us making disciples of all people. All nations includes Vidalia. All nations includes Lyons. It includes Mount Vernon. It includes Baxley. Wherever you're from, all nations, everywhere, we are all called to make disciples out of any and everyone. And this is what the Corinthians weren't getting. They just weren't being obedient to God. They were being disobedient. And then not only were they being disobedient, but they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. So if we want to see uh, what's the second sign of someone truly growing? Is that they have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we see it listed out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, every time I say it, I have to stop myself from singing it. I'm sorry. All right, so if the Corinthians would have followed the fruits of the Spirit, think about this. They probably would have avoided this huge argument in their church. If they just would have loved one another or showed peace or been joyful, they would have avoided all of it. And so if we want to avoid that same disunity, we have to ask ourselves, how can we get the fruit of the Spirit? We get the fruit of the Spirit. They come from focusing on Christ. On Christ alone, when you focus fully on Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will be in your life. They are a direct result of focusing on on Christ. So can you describe yourself by using the fruits of the Spirit? Are you a loving person? Are you joyful? Do you have peace in your life? All right, kids, ask your parents this. Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you show goodness? Are you faithful? Are you gentle? Do you have self-control? I mean, just think about all the conflicts in your life you could avoid if you just exhibited the fruits of the Spirit. But what the fruit does is it points us to the root of the problem. So the fruit just just points us back to the root. And the root of the problem is that for the Corinthians, they weren't focusing on Christ. So when you don't have the fruit, it's because you're not focusing on Christ. The the Corinthians took their eyes off of Christ. Then then they started to have this disunity. All right, if you have disunity, ask yourself, what am I focused on? Is it Christ or something else? All right, so the Corinthians were focused on teachings and knowledge. The Corinthians lived in a, a Greek philosophy society, so Greek philosophy was starting to take over around all where they lived. And so they, they kind of focused on that too much. And when they focused on that, they focused on looking smart and looking intelligent to these Greek philosophers instead of focusing on Christ. And then they didn't have the fruits of the Spirit in their life. 
It's like this, if me and my wife go get in the car after this and we want to go eat, all right, she gets in, I ask her where she wants to eat, and she says, Rio. First I tell her how wrong that is, and then I tell her we should go to guacamole, all right? I like guacamole a lot better. If you haven't had it, it's new and it's great, all right? So when, when I start focusing on myself and my needs and my wants and my desires, if I did that in that moment, what would I do? I might would be like rude and abrupt towards her because she didn't have a good idea. All right, but if I am focusing on the fruits of the Spirit, and I am showing her love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and showing self-control, I'm not going to be rude and abrupt, but I'm going to hear her, listen to her, and serve her. All right, so think about that. That's just a small example in our, our big life examples in the big problems in your marriage and the big problems when you have a disunity with people you know, whether it's in the church or outside. Listen, are you focusing on the fruits of the Spirit? What is your focus on? Listen, when we start focusing on Christ, the fruits of the Spirit will become natural in our life. So if you want the fruits of the Spirit, focus on Christ all the time and they'll become natural, which is kind of the goal, right? Like the goal is that the fruits of the Spirit will just flow out of us so that when we come face to face in any uh, decision in any life matter, they'll just flow. Now imagine those conflicts in your life. If you met those with fruits in the or with fruits of the spirit, how would they change? Right, and then if everyone in here did that, think about it. There would never be any conflict in our church if every single person in here met every disunity uh, 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 and dysfunction of our church uh, and met it with fruit of the spirit. We would never have any of those disunities or dysfunctions. But again, it all starts with a focus on Christ, so we can't do that without first initially focusing on Christ. And then they'll become natural to us. And when the fruits of the Spirit become natural in our life, they become noticeable by others. And for a Christian, our life should look different from others. If you call yourself a Christian, your life should look different from the outside world. Or we should be ready to love everyone we meet. People should be able to look at our church and see that we're one people with one goal to grow closer to Christ and bring as many people on board with us as we can. Our church should not be, our church should not be defined by a race, an age, an economic class, or a lifestyle. Our church should be for all people coming together to worship God. All right, and think about our world all right, outside the church, how divided our world is in every aspect. You got politics and then just social economics and just it's all divided all right in those divisions people should be able to look at the church and see unity our church should be so unified that it's wanted by everyone and then when it's wanted we can show them that it's truly christ so are the fruits of the spirit natural in your life are they noticeable by others so if you're growing you'll be obedient You'll display the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally, our last one, if you're growing, you'll have a God filter. A God filter. And this is kind of a term I kind of came up with, but basically this means when you come to a decision in your life, any and all decisions, big or small, you filter it with the question, does this glorify God's kingdom or my kingdom? Every decision, every crossroads, is it my kingdom or God's kingdom? 
Unfortunately, however, we filter things too often through a worldly lens. We think about uh, our pursuit of our glory rather than the pursuit of God's glory. And when we do this, there's really two big things that happen. One, we start to place hope in temporary things. So when you filter stuff through a worldly lens, your hope is probably placed in something temporary. A few examples. One, it might be money. You place hope in money. We feel like if we can just get to this amount of money, God, just let me get to there, I'll be fine, and I don't have to worry anymore. What's funny, though, is you finally get that raise to that amount, and then you just up, uh, up it up a little bit more. Why? Because you put your hope in money that can't truly satisfy you. That's not meant to satisfy our soul. I always feel like the more money we get, the more things we can get, the more things we get, the more happiness we have, and that's just not true. Money can't give us total satisfaction. But maybe it's not money for you, maybe it's relationships. Really, there's two angles we can look at this from. Or maybe you're single and you feel like if, if you can just find that guy or that girl and get married, that you'll, you'll finally be satisfied. And yes, God is for marriage, but God is not for a marriage you place all your hope in. Right, because if you put all your hope into that marriage, eventually you will be let down. Right, or maybe you're already married or you're already in a relationship and you just think, if I can get it to look this certain way, if I just get it to look just like this, I'll be fully satisfied. Which is, which is also not true. We can't put our hope in things that don't last forever and things that are imperfect. Think about this. Me and my wife, we both love each other. I love her. She loves me. But we both have the understanding that we were made for more than just each other. Right? If, any, if either one of us puts all of our hope in the other one, so if I put all my hope in her, she puts all her hope in me, we will let each other down. Why? Because I'm imperfect and she's imperfect. Right? There's only one thing that's perfect, sustainable, and eternal, and it's Jesus. That's what our hope should be in. But maybe it's not money, or maybe it's not relationships. Maybe you've put hope in status. That if you attain this goal, if you get uh, this job, if you get this promotion, if you're this good at your hobbies, if you become this well-known, if you can become famous, whatever it is, if you can just get that status, you'll be it. And just like the rest, it's not what can truly fulfill you. And I give you those things not to tell you to avoid them, not that they're terrible things, but to remind you that when you, when you start to filter your life through a worldly lens, you start to put hope in those things, and those things will only let you down. If you put uh, in your life, you have that God filter, and you filter through God's kingdom, you'll see how you can use those things to best God's glory. So not only do you put hope in temporary things when you filter your life through a worldly lens, but second thing, you also make Christ a part of your life and not your whole life. Christ becomes just a part of your life instead of your whole life. He becomes optional to you. Uh, we all know how busy life can get. We probably just left the busiest month of the year, December. Right, December was super busy. Think about all the stuff we had to juggle. And what's the, what's the easiest thing people think they can let go of? It's probably church because church is optional. No one forced any of you to come here this morning. 
All right, it's optional, but what Billy says is this, and it's true. Your first step away from community is your first step away from God. So when you step away from church, you're starting the backspin of stepping away from God. Because you've made what he says optional. He's become optional in your life, and your promotion at work become more important than your relationship with him. Your child's travel team becomes more important than him. Your Netflix binge watching becomes more important than him. Your sleep schedule becomes more important than him. Your time with friends are more important. Your free time, whatever it is, whatever worldly thing it is, you've classed it as more important than him. And then you'll slowly start to realize you've stepped away from your relationship and you're not growing with him anymore. Then not only does he become uh, just an option, then he starts to become secondary. He becomes secondary in our life. Think about the great American faith, family, and freedom. Right? But who, who really cares about the order is what some people think, which to me is very ironic because a lot of people will talk about our freedom, but a lot of people in the United States are slaves to the sin or how awesome uh, their family can be, but they don't ever truly show their family the family of God. If you're not bringing your family into the true family, what are you doing? Our God wants our primary, not just to be mixed in with everything else. He doesn't want to just be something on the shelf. He wants to be the whole dresser. He wants to be your whole life. It should be God first. Then we're pointing our family to God. Then we're pointing to our freedom in Him. He wants your all, all of it, 100%. Listen, one of my favorite Christian rappers has this kind of cheesy song lyric, but listen, it's got a lot of truth into it. He says, 100, nothing less. He's talking about his effort for the gospel. 100, nothing left, or nothing less. 100 until nothing is left. Cheesy but true, that's what God wants. He wants 100 until there's nothing less. 100 until there's nothing left in this world but him. He wants your all. And listen, and then when we finally start to give him our all, what do we do? We finally, we filter things through a kingdom lens. And when we do that, we start to live life different. When you filter everything through a lens of the kingdom and glorifying him instead of me, you start doing your life different. We do our job different. Think about how different your job would be if you, if you saw it as an opportunity to expand the kingdom. Like if you intently went into your workplace with the goal to spread the gospel with everyone there. Our, our jobs will become places to leverage the gospel instead of leveraging our wealth. And I'm not against wealth, but I'm against valuing wealth over Christ. Listen, our jobs should be used to show Christ. But not just our jobs, we'd lead our families different. Or we'd start to lead our families with the one goal to show every member of our family what it's like to truly love Christ. That our main priority in raising children wouldn't be uh, showing them worldly things, but the one eternal thing. But not just our work and our families, but we'd start to do our free time different. Imagine if you used your free time with the kingdom of God instead of expanding the kingdom of you. If you viewed it through that God filter, that God lens, and you wanted to expand the kingdom instead of yourself during your free time. All right, or, or if we all leverage just a part of it, just a small part of our free time, imagine the damage that we could do. All right, what part of your life are you not leveraging for God? 
So the question to ask yourself is this, by what lens do you make decisions? Through a worldly lens that glorifies yourself or through a kingdom lens that glorifies God? And ultimately ask yourself, are you growing? Because remember, the Corinthians were disunified because they weren't growing. And if we wanted to avoid that same disunity, we got to make sure we're all growing in Christ. Which was the first thing we saw that the Corinthians had, or didn't have, excuse me, they weren't growing. So pick back up in verse 10, we'll see the second thing they didn't do. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right, so what is, what is he saying? The only sustainable foundation that will ever last in our life is Jesus Christ. Right, we saw Jesus uh, say this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He uses this parable of a man building a house, and he says you can build it on all these other materials, but build it on the rock, the rock which is himself. Build it on him. It's the only thing that will stand, the only thing that will last. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So Paul is basically saying, first, make sure you're building on the right foundation. All right, so you gotta, if, if you build a house, and you, you know this, you have to have a good foundation or it'll fall down. So is your foundation on Christ? And then once we start building, what materials are you using? He showed us two different categories, gold, silver, and costly stones. When we build our lives with that, basically that means that we're giving our best to the mission. Giving our best to God that we are sitting here with an open hand. God, have whatever you want. Take it all. I want to give you everything. And then when you build with wood, hay, or straw, you're kind of just like sitting back and coasting. Like you know you've got God, but I'm going to coast my way. Right, then there's going to be this test. This test that he's talking about is on the day of judgment. Whenever you have, you've passed, Jesus died for you. You, you know that. You, he atoned for your sins. But then there will be another test. He'll test what you did for the kingdom on this earth. Neither it'll stand that test because it's made of gold, silver, or costly stones. And you put it all out on the line for it. Or it won't because you coasted by. So what are you building with? Verse 14, it says, if, we, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So he kind of takes it further. All right, so not only are you building a life for yourself individually, but also the church. So if you're building with poor materials individually, you're going to be hurting the church because you're building the church with poor materials. All right, so what is the second reason we see the disunity of the Corinthian church? Number two, they, they weren't building their life the right way. They weren't building their life the right way and the best way to examine our lives is we, if we want to make sure we're building our life the right way, the best place to start is the foundation. So ask yourself, what's my foundation? 
What's your foundation? Really, there's two things it could be. It could be one, it could be worldly things. If you want to find out if your foundation is on worldly things, here's two questions you can ask yourself. All right, so we're trying to find out, make sure our foundation is on Christ, but if you don't know for sure, if you think it could possibly be on worldly things, ask yourself this. Or maybe you might ask yourself this, you'll answer, and then you'll realize maybe it is on worldly things. First question, what do you want most in life? What do you want most in life? In your life right now, what do you want more than anything? Is it success? Is it money? Is it a spouse? Is it a job? Whatever it is. If it isn't Christ, then you're building on the wrong foundation. More than anything in our life, we should want Christ. Our second question, what do you give your attention to most? And there's really two things that can reflect this best. One, our finances. Where do our finances go the most? Do they go to things that glorify us or things that glorify God? All right, and I'm not against finances at all. All right, but I'm against finances that majorly build you up instead of building God up. But not just finances. What about your time? Where is the majority of your time spent? Take a step back from your life and analyze it. Look at it. Where do I spend most of my time? Is it doing things to glorify myself or doing things to glorify God? And if your answer to both of these questions made you believe that you may be building your life on a foundation that isn't Christ, here's a warning. This world is temporary. Nothing this world has to offer is eternal. All right, it will fail you. It will abandon you. It will only be temporary. It won't last. But luckily, there's a, there's a good foundation. Christ is a good foundation. Jesus wants to be your foundation. And guess what? He will never fail. He will never abandon you, and he will love you eternally. So why not build a foundation on Christ? Not only does he know what's best, but he wants the best for you. All right, Tony Evans tells a story like this. He had a crack in his wall. All right, and he called a painter to come fill in the crack and paint over it. All right, two weeks later, the crack came back and called the same guy. He came back and did the same thing. Another two weeks later, the third time, uh, the painter comes in there and he says, Tony, this isn't a painting problem. This is a foundation problem. Listen, if your foundation isn't on Jesus, you'll have a foundation problem. Cracks in your life will start to appear and you'll start to be falling in them and you just won't have the right foundation to sustain it. So what is your foundation on? All right, and if you truly know that your foundation is on Christ, so only if you truly know it's Christ, ask yourself this. What materials am I using? What materials are you using to build up your, your house, your life? I remember only for the Christians, ask yourself this. Paul gave us two categories we could be building, or two, two uh, uh, things we could be building with. One, gold, silver, or costly stones. It's the first category. And this means we're giving Christ our all. All of everything we have is available for Christ to use, to, to use in whatever way he wants. So ask yourself, does Christ have my all? Does he have your all? This is the standard that God requires. He wants your all. He wants 100% of you. He wants all of you, not just 
part of you. What happens though is, is we become hesitant, hesitant to give God our all. Because we're scared because we know it means we'll have to sacrifice something. Think about it. If, you, if you're building with something costly, you're having to sacrifice something so you can build with that. We're sometimes scared to sacrifice whatever it is to give God our all. But God wants our all. So don't be scared of sacrificing something temporary for something eternal. Not only that, ask yourself, not only does Christ have my all, but have I committed every part of my life to the mission? Every part, every ounce, all of our life, Christ wants for the mission. Or do you live with that intentionality to spread the gospel? Because if you don't, you might be building your, uh, your life, your building on wood, hay, or straw. Which basically means you're giving as little as you can and just coasting your way. Right, this is when we hold back and don't give God our best. And don't give God, oh, when you do this, you do this for one or two reasons. One, you're probably holding on to something else. All right, if you're scared to give God your all, you're probably holding on to something else. And here in America, I think the one thing that all of us would want to hold on to more than anything is comfort. All right, we've become real comfortable in America. We're comfortable with what we have. We don't really feel like we should have to risk it for something else. So what comfort in your life are you not willing to risk? Think about this. This church wouldn't be here if Billy wasn't wanting to risk comfort. Or think about Bo, who's about to move overseas. What if he didn't want to risk that comfort? Right, God calls us out of comfortable situations to realize our need for him. So he wants us to become uncomfortable so that we can see we need him. All right, we all have that one thing, that one comfort that we want to hold on to. What is yours? What are you holding on to? So not only are you uh, holding on to something, but two, you might not fully trust God, which probably most of us in here have been in this uh, spot before. It's been hard to trust God. We let doubts about ourselves come to our mind like, why would God use me? Or that just seems like a lot. Isn't there someone more qualified? But faith wouldn't be faith if everything seemed possible. If we could do it on our own, if it was possible our own, then what would we need faith for? We have to be able to trust him and whatever he says can happen. And then the last thing we can ask ourselves about our foundation and about our building materials is this. Will it stand the test of fire? Will it stand the test of fire? And it's a simple yes or no question. All right, yes, it will. That means you're building with the right materials. You've given God your all. You've laid it all on the table for him. He can have whatever he needs. God, you can have it all. Or no, you're building with the wrong materials. You're holding on to something. You, you don't trust God fully. Right, God wants all of us, God wants all of you to build with the right materials to trust him, to go and spread the gospel. So what are you building with? That's the second thing that we see the Corinthians uh, did to cause disunity. They built their lives their own way. And in verse 18, we start to see the third, the third thing. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become 
fools so that you may become wise. So remember, the Corinthians were heavily influenced by the Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy would tell them to identify with a teacher, and whatever teacher you identify with, you should stick to them. All right, so kind of like trusting in a teacher rather than trusting in God. So the Corinthians took that ideology and then started to imply it to the church, and this is what caused their divide. All right, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise, and they're crafting this. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So the Corinthians, just they let the Greeks influence them so much that they took what the world said and started to try to apply it to what God said, and those things don't mix. God says to love the world is to hate him. So what's the third thing the Corinthians did to to cause uh, them to be disunified? Point three, the world influenced them. They let the world influence them and start to shape what they believed. Right? And, and guess what? Almost 2,000 years later, so this was 2,000 years ago today, guess what? One of the, the, the things is that the same problem that Christians uh, struggle with today is the same thing they were struggling with. We let the outside world try to influence our walk with Christ too much. We get too worried about what they think and how we might look crazy and believing in a God who created the universe. But listen, God wants us to remain focused on him. Focused on him. Don't let the world influence you. And there's three categories when it comes to this that you can be in. The first one is this. You love God and the world doesn't influence you. I say you you love God, you don't care about the world. This is where we all need to be. This is where we need to be. It doesn't matter what the world says, but you you just are focused on God. And there's three things you're doing. You're growing. You're being obedient. You display the fruits of the Spirit. You have that God filter. And you're also building your life the right way. Your foundation is Christ. You're building with good materials. And then lastly, the world doesn't influence you. You don't care about the world. You don't care what they say. You don't care at their uh, standards because you're, you're free from that. You're focused on Christ. And if you would say that this is you, that you're in this seat, I, I have two quick reminders for you. One, don't stop pursuing. All right, don't stop pursuing God because, listen, Christianity, your spiritual maturity, you're either going forwards or backwards. There's no neutral in your walk with Christ. And if you're anything like me and you don't wake up with the intentionality to pursue Christ, you'll start to pursue yourself. And when I pursue myself, I become sinful, evil, and just going after whatever I can find in the world. We have to pursue Christ daily. We're either going forwards or backwards. And the second thing we have to remember, this doesn't sound encouraging, but it is. The work isn't done until you're dead or Christ comes back. The work, the mission isn't done until you're either dead or Christ has come back. This is a reminder to all Christians. 
And yes, I know it seems harsh, but it's a great reminder of, uh, to me to remember that I was not made for this world. Right, if you're a Christian, we weren't made for this world. We're made to be with God eternally, to spend a life with him, to spend eternity with him. We're made for that. But he left us here for a reason. Like if we weren't here for a reason, think about this. When, when we had salvation, we would have just would have gone straight to heaven then. But we're here for a reason. So the reason is that we, we can pursue and, and show everyone the mission of God, the love of God, and take as many people with us as we can. All right, so is this you? Is this, are you in this seat? Are you following God, loving God, and not caring about the world? Or are you this other category? Do you love God and the world does influence you? Right, this is where the Corinthians were at. They were influenced by the world. They let that Greek philosophy influence them so much it caused disunity in their church. Right, have you become so influenced by the world that you just want to impress everyone and, and, and you don't care if you kind of have to step back from your relationship with God? Do you strive for the world's attention and for worldly glory or do you strive to know more about God, to grow closer to Him? Right, ultimately, have you become content with where you are and just having salvation? Basically saying, I'm redeemed through Christ, that's enough, and coasting your way into heaven. All right, we have a mission. God has told us a mission. He gave us a direction to go and share the gospel with all nations. It's like this, parents, think about this. If you go home this afternoon, you get face-to-face -face with your kid, you see that their room is dirty, and you say, go clean your room. You know it, they know it, it's out in the open. There's no disputing that it happened or didn't happen. Right, and then 30 minutes later, you come back and they're still watching TV, watching Cocoa Melon or whatever, and then they just haven't cleaned their room. Right, now think about this. This is how God feels. He gave us in the word direction to go and spread the gospel to all nations. But too often we just get too busy watching Cocoa Melon, doing whatever, being worldly, not pursuing the mission. And ultimately what it is, it's disobedience. The same way your child disobeyed you, you're disobeying God when you do this. So what should you do? You should turn, pursue God, and live countercultural to the world. Everything we do should be opposite of this world. There's a well-known Christian author who says this. I can't remember his name, but he said, we should live our lives in such a way that if you took Christ out, we'd look crazy. So if you, if you took Christ out of your life, are you living in such a way that it would seem crazy? Another lyric from a song that I like says, Paul said, if Christ ain't resurrected, then we wasted our lives. But that implies that our lives built around Jesus being alive. So if they could prove today Christ was never resurrected, would your life be wasted? The answer should be yes. If we're a Christian and they could prove that, our, wife, our life should be wasted. But sometimes the only thing that really would change is that our Sunday afternoons would change. That our life wouldn't change if they could prove that Christ never resurrected. Our life wasn't that dedicated to Christ, so it doesn't change that much. 
So today, if that is, if that is you and you're a Christian, but you've just been kind of coasting your way along, listen, this is your wake-up call. All right, the last thing you want to do is on your deathbed, look back and say, man, I should have spread the gospel more. What a terrible thing to have to wish. So is that you? Or maybe in our last category, this is you. You, you love the world, and the world influences all of you. This is someone who needs Christ, someone who's lost, who doesn't have Christ, who just wants the world. You're lost, and there's really two categories. Blake breaks it down like this, two categories of lost people. One, you're lost in your goodness. You've basically been doing the whole Christian thing your whole life. You grew up in church. Um, from the outside, it looks like you have it together. But deep down, you don't really know him. Listen, this is my story. This is me. All right, I had it all put together on the outside. It looked like I knew Christ. I grew up in church. My mom was a church employee. I was there more than four times a week. It looked like I had it together. Even Paul goes into this in Philippians 3. He lists out these, these Christian activities that would basically show how much he knew about God. And then he, he lists those out and says, they're all lost. They're all lost because I didn't really know God. So are you lost in your goodness? Or maybe you're lost in your badness, which basically means you've decided to live for the world and do what you want with who you want, whenever you want. And you're just a fool nosedive into the world. And whatever it has to offer you will do it. Listen, if either of those things are you, you're lost and you need God. So I want to challenge every person in here today as so we get ready to respond in a time of worship, ask yourself, where am I? All right, if you're not in the first category, that's where you need to be. All right, have you, Christians, have you committed yourself to the mission? All right, is your life so sold out for the mission that if they could disprove Jesus, that it would look wasted? Or maybe, have you not even experienced Jesus at all? Whatever it is, listen, there's no better time than right now to give your life to Christ. And there's no better time than right now to give yourself to the mission. Wherever you are, ask yourself that today. So we get ready to respond. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for just dying on the cross for our sins. God, I pray for every person in here that they would see their need for you, that we would pursue you daily. We thank you for your love and all that you do. In your name I pray, amen.